This podcast was recorded Thursday, February 22nd at 10.31 a.m. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. Like J.D. Vance will make his way onto Donald Trump's short list of possible running mates. His name was not mentioned during this week's Fox News Town Hall. Let's talk politics. This is Snollygoster, WOSU Public Media's weekly look at Ohio politics and all those Snollygosters, those shrewd politicians who are now, right now, looking for your vote. I'm Mike Thompson. Coming up in the podcast, our Snollygoster of the Week award goes to somebody who cannot get beyond the fact that we wore masks during the COVID pandemic. But first, primary election month is here. Early voting began Wednesday. The big race in Ohio is the GOP primary for U.S. Senate. The winner gets to take on Sherrod Brown. On Monday, the three Republicans running met on a debate stage in Finley, and it was televised statewide on Spectrum Cable, and it got feisty. State Senator Matt Dolan reminded his challengers their stances on illegal immigration have changed. Frank, you were wrapping around around no labels, which had a clear path to citizenship. And Bernie, you are quoted as saying you want a path to residency and you think it's important that all illegals become U.S. citizens. And, and that, that's not true. When talking about minimum wage, Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose got personal. Mr. Moreno has had a problem not even paying people the wages that they've earned in his business and had to had to settle a lawsuit as a result of that. You think that with a career in politics in which you're, that you'd have something to run in your record instead of uh, doing this, but this is what they do. This is what career politicians do. And businessman Bernie Marino, who received an endorsement from former President Donald Trump in this race, claims Frank LaRose lied about Trump's support lied to everybody and said that President Trump told him that he wasn't going to endorse in this race. I did not you, lie. Well, you said that President Trump told you that he was not going to endorse. That was my so impression, either, and he so changed either, his mind. Oh, he That's changed. Fine. So, so now, now it's President Trump lying, now he changed his mind. At the end of the day, I've Frank, he knows who you are, he knows who I am, and he knows that I'm the one that's going to have his back. So there is a small taste of what, you, what voters saw on Monday night on Spectrum Cable Inn in the hall in Finley. But now it is the voters' turn. And by the evening of March 19th, we will know which of these three men will prevail in the GOP primary. Joining us to size up the race at this point is longtime Ohio political observer and University of Cincinnati political science professor David Niven. David, welcome to Snally Goster. No, it's my pleasure to be with you, Mike. Uh, my first question is, are you having as hard a time as we are sizing up this race you know, LaRose has the name ID and two statewide wins. He strongly supports Trump. Marino has a lot of money and the Trump endorsement. Dolan has a lot of money and is the Trump alternative candidate. Who do you think has an advantage going into the election? Well, it's hard to go against that Trump endorsement as a bottom line for the modern Republican Party. I mean, you know, if this were another time, if this were 10 years ago or something, you know, you would say the Ohio Republican Party knows how to advance its own. And you would say LaRose would be the clear favorite. I mean, they they had really an unquestioned run of success in in kind of building the farm system and advancing their own. But but those days are over. That that party no longer exists. And for an awful lot of primary voters, not you know, Ohioans in general, but primary voters, that Trump endorsement is the single most central factor in this race. And keep in mind, as you know, as, as you alluded to in that debate, 
there's not a whole heck of a lot of difference between no. these candidates anyway. So, you know, what is it that a, a voter could see that would distinguish any of the candidates, you know, other than that endorsement? You know, all of these changes, all of the all of these candidates have have changed their stances to some degree. Marino on immigration. He's an immigrant himself. Uh, in, in claims of stolen election, he's changed his position on that a little bit. LaRose has moved farther to the right over the course of the past couple of years. They've all modified their once very strong anti-abortion rights positions, now willing to consider a, a national standard that's not a complete ban. Uh, does changing positions matter anymore in politics? Well, that's another funny thing about this race. You know, to a certain extent, all three of these candidates were, you know, normal Republicans. You know, they they their rhetoric, their you know behavior fit the norm of the party that used to exist. And not just on issues, but in their entire self-presentation. I mean, they have transformed themselves into the fire-breathing mode. And, you know, you think about for the longest time, Ohio's Republican Party was, you know, kind of polite. You know, mm -hmm. you had, you know, your Voinoviches, your Portmans, you know, DeWines. These were not fire-breathing characters. And, and really, Ohio is maybe 20 years behind the times in producing you know, the kinds of folks, you know, the Ted Cruz type, you know, U.S. senators who are much more common in other, you know, Republican states. And now, you know, once Vance won, you know, we're kind of catching up with the rest of the nation on that. And I think it's particularly striking, you know, of the three, Matt Dolan would be theoretically the most moderate. He's the one who refuses to, you know, pledge, you know, fealty to Trump. And even he has gone with the fire breathing, you know, instead of immigrants, illegals. I mean, that, that's that's the moderate in the race. And, you know, so to speak. And, you know, I think that's really striking more so than just the contest between these three the transformation of the party as a whole. Yeah, and J.D. Vance is your perfect, you mentioned him, but he's the perfect illustration. I mean, we, the transformation that he has gone from just a sort of a reasonable Republican, as we like to call him, to a full-throated MAGA Republican now, um, is we've talked about it on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, how he has transformed it. It's, it's really it's it's really amazing to watch. And, and you mentioned the, the, the Republican, it's always been a next, next person up. Most cases, it was the next guy up would run for, would start as Secretary of State and move to a different position and then run for governor or U.S. Senate. And guys like J.D. Vance have cut the line. Bernie Marino possibly will cut the line in this race. Well, you know, it's not only that they're cutting the line, but that they're better off for cutting the line than waiting their turn. I think mm -hmm. that's the really striking thing that, you know, in seeking Trump's favor, you're better off coming from the outside because then you don't have a record of actually taking positions and serving people that you might have to, you know, explain. And so, you know, I think that's one of the major transformations here. I mean, those those folks, <clears throat> the Voinoviches and so forth, and the, you know, Bob Tafts, you know, Mike DeWine is the absolute best example of this, you know, who served and then progressed up the ladder, you know, that day, you know, that day is, is seriously compromised. And, and, you know, for a Frank LaRose, you can imagine the frustration in thinking, you know, I did everything exactly right. I followed the formula. It's my turn. And to have, you know, the Republican Party change on him and to have the rules of the game change on him. You know, I think you can see in his behavior in the in the debate and in, in the entirety of the campaign, you know, what a shocking turn of events it is to think the game 
you know, the game was made for you to win and find out that that's no longer the case. And he paid his dues in the past six months. I mean, he was the flag bearer for the effort to keep, uh, to defeat the constitutional amendment to enshrine abortion rights in the Ohio, rights in the Ohio Constitution. He pushed the first issue one in August to, to make it harder to change the Constitution. He was the leading statewide elected official on that. And he led the fight against the abortion rights amendment in November. And he, because he didn't get the Trump endorsement, he, uh, you know, he's seen, sort of seen as the, you know, he's the, the, the underdog. Now, Ohio Right to Life did endorse him, but they also endorsed Bernie Marino, which had to be a slap in the face to, to LaRose. Right. I mean, here it is. You took on the Sisyphusian task of fighting to sell Ohioans products they have no desire for, you know, to, to represent what the party claims to stand for. You know, you pushed, you pushed, you did the work. Meanwhile, you know, uh, Dolan Moreno, you know, slept through those campaigns, you know, strategically distancing themselves or just enjoying the fruits of, of not having to do the labor. Um, you know, I think that's a real central concept. And I know you've talked a little bit about that on the podcast before that there's no benefit for doing the policy work. There's no upside in the modern Republican Party. You're, you know, you're really just incurring the potential wrath of, you know, failing to deliver or even the just delivering mm -hmm. is another potential, you know, issue. But, you know, I think there's a really interesting point that we're kind of kind of getting to here is that in Ohio, the Republican Party is much more, uh, much more popular than Republican policies. And that's the real disjuncture of, you know, why isn't there a payoff for, you know, LaRose fighting the, the fight on reproductive rights? Well, Ohioans don't actually agree with Republicans on that. And, yeah. you know, you, you played the clip about minimum wage. Well, <laughs> there's three potential U.S. senators, three rich men saying there should be no minimum wage at all. Uh, that, that is so in direct conflict with what Ohioans think. It's, it's a really fascinating moment where to be acceptable within the Republican Party, you have to accept as article of, of faith things the voters not only don't want, but actively disagree with. Yeah, and that's where it. That's where primary campaigning comes in. Of course, you're not looking for everyone's vote right now. You're only looking for the primary voters. And gerrymandering, I think, has really warped the view of policymakers and elected leaders at the state house, and uh, to some degree in Congress, in that you know you, you're secured in your party winning your district, so you don't have to worry about the other side, and you kind of tune out the other side. And you don't realize. I mean, that abortion issue has been consistent. It's been 55-45 in favor of some kind of abortion rights standard, the Roe standard, for 10 years. And it was just no surprise that it was going to it was going to win. But the Republicans Absolutely. were— and, and, and the minimum wage, there's even a stronger yes. majority for it. And, and there was a moment during the debate where Matt Nolan said the purpose of the minimum wage, essentially, you know, forcing someone to live at an unlivable wage is, well, that's what encourages them to work harder. And I mean, this had a, you know, a, a real Mr. Potter, you know, from It's a Wonderful Life, you know, kind of just absolute contempt for the premise that work should lift you out of poverty. No, you know, you suffer. That's, that's, what, that's what you're meant to do. That kind of tone deafness mm -hmm. in a state where when the minimum wage was on the ballot, Ohioans resoundingly voted to raise it. You know, that's just not where the average Ohioan is. But you're right. That is where they perceive 
the Ohioans who will vote in a Republican primary are, or mm. that showing that kind of disdain is what they're meant to do, regardless of what the policy is. And likely minimum wage will be on the ballot sometime soon here in Ohio because of the first issue one failing. You know, one of the questions about Marino is he does not have that track record. He does have some statements he has made. He's got a social media presence that reporters and opponents can go back and look at. He does face questions about past lawsuits accusing him of gender, age, and race discrimination. He's also uh, been sued for failing to pay overtime pay to a couple of car salespeople in Massachusetts. A jury found him responsible, and he had to pay more than $400,000. It's very complicated. Uh, his opponents in, in the primary have tried to bring this up. Will this eventually hurt him, do you think, against a Sherrod Brown? Should he win the primary? I think it is a potential vulnerability against Sherrod Brown because Sherrod Brown has the capacity to talk about, you know, the life of the working Ohioan and to have that define, you know, who he is, what he stands for. And, and ultimately, an election is about a contrast. You know, ultimately, what's the point of a campaign? Point of a campaign is to define the, you know, the, the vantage point from which you look at this race and you say, you're going to obviously vote for me and not again, not for my opponent. And for this just tees Sherrod Brown up to make this campaign about somebody who's fought for workers versus, you know, a car dealer. And, you know, if there's one group of people that that folks have less confidence in than politicians, it would be car dealers. So, you know, I do think that's a potential vulnerability. And I do think for November, we're talking about likely the most expensive Senate race in the nation. I mean, the the eyes of the nation will be on this race. And it really does set up as an interesting battle between, you know, whichever Republican and the advantages of being a Republican in 2024 Ohio versus Sherrod Brown, the one Democrat who's shown he can win statewide uh, over the last 10 yeah. years in Ohio. Yeah, the numbers are eye-popping. Mitch McConnell's PAC and a couple of affiliated PACs are, are promising $100 million in this race. Now, they're promising that. Whether they spend it or not is another story. But Yeah, I mean, but of... I do think it's telling that yeah. when you when you look at both what Republicans are planning and the Democrats are planning, you know, numbers like half a billion dollars are getting thrown around. Now, you know, a lot of that money is going to get wasted. You know, there's a point of diminishing returns there's in campaigns. So, there's spending, only so but, many spots on Jeopardy you can buy. You right, know? <laughs> right, exactly. You know, there was a there was a race, you know, a couple cycles ago in Alaska where they literally for Senate, where they literally sold out the internet. You, you could not buy like like one of those ads that pops up when you watch a, a YouTube, yeah. you know, uh, you know, a video or something because they had sold out the inventory of the internet. So, you know, that's the kind of prospect we're looking at in Ohio. And it, what's interesting from the voters' perspective is we used to be the center of the universe in presidential races. You know, we are not that now, mm -hmm. but we are going to be the center of the universe in the Senate race. Yeah. Speaking of presidential races, Trump has to be the favorite. Should he be the nominee? He's won here twice by healthy margins. But, you know, he's he's got some baggage. Joe Biden has some baggage. Both approval ratings are down. Both candidates are going to be tied to the leaders on their tickets, on their on their party. Well, how how will that play out, do you think, in Ohio? Will Biden hurt Brown? Will Trump hurt, help the GOP nominee? Well, I do think that it would be better for Brown. And, you know, he got lucky 
you know, his last reelection, of course, was 2018. So he was not on the ballot at the same time as Trump. So I do think there's going to be a little bit of a of a presidential drag that that Sherrod Brown has to overcome. But the other thing is, if you look at the map of how Ohioans voted in November on issue one, the Reproductive Rights Amendment, there were within that map, there was the path to a Sherrod Brown victory. You know, mm -hmm. for example, if you go from Toledo and you work your way across Lake Erie toward the Pennsylvania border, every single one of those counties voted yes on issue one in November. That's the old Sherrod Brown base of, you know, a lot of blue collar counties, a lot of folks who were, you know, core Democrats who voted, you know, Republican in 2016 and 2020. So, you know, I think the presidential campaign probably cuts against Brown, but that issue one campaign shows where the potential is for Ohioans. And again, there's a big difference between Ohioans on issues and Ohioans yeah. on party. And, you know, Sherrod Brown has that, you know, you know, has that capacity to share the issue side and try and, and you know, keep that winning streak alive of his. Yeah, I wonder because, you know. Ohioans have basically settled the issue, at least for now, the abortion issue. So how much will they be passionate to come out again to support a candidate on that one issue? Or does, you know, does does Brown Brown obviously has to do more than just uh, talk about the chances of a national abortion so-called ban or uh, further, in, you know, in limiting of rights of abortion rights in the campaign? He'll certainly do that. But will that be enough to motivate those same voters to come out again and vote for him, not Trump. Well, you're right. I mean, there's certainly, you know, there's a fatigue and and he won't have the advantage of that pressing threat. But it's really more than just like that issue. What I would argue is that's sort of the proof of concept that even as we were kind of tempted to think this is this is a truly conservative state. That's the proof of concept to say, well, actually, Ohio values are pretty moderate. They're they're not, you know, this is not Utah. This is not Wyoming. Ohio values are pretty moderate. And, you know, that's the opportunity for Brown, not just on this issue, but across the board, you know, to take that Bernie Moreno, I don't believe there should be a minimum wage and say that's not Ohio values to take Bernie Moreno and, you know, I want a national abortion ban. Say that's not Ohio value. So I, I do think that's the potential. And the other the other area that I think is you know significant is some of those places like Delaware County, you know, Delaware County, Ohio, the last time it voted for a Democrat for president was Woodrow Wilson. Yeah, it's getting closer. You know, that's, you know, a county that voted yes on reproductive rights. And Sherrod Brown doesn't need to win, you know, uh, Delaware County. But if, if he loses it by a much smaller margin than Democrats traditionally do, again, that's the potential path. Now, does a Republican have an advantage? you know, in sort of starting point? Absolutely. And it doesn't matter which of the three it is, you know, they are going to enjoy, you know, enormous funding, and they are going to enjoy the benefits of what's almost certainly going to be a, a Trump win, you know, um, uh, in Ohio, if, yeah. if, 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 if the candidates remain on the ballot, as, as, as currently would appear. So as we approach election, primary election day on March 19th, uh, anything you're looking for that we should watch for in these uh, final weeks of the primary campaign? The ads are showing up more frequently on television, I've noticed. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the key thing in, this, in the Republican Senate race is, does any fact break through besides uh, Moreno endorsement by Trump. Does anything stick? Because, you know, obviously, 
all the candidates are being accused of being soft on immigration. All the candidates are being accused of, you know, having taken previous stances that are not in keeping with what they're saying now. Does any does anything actually break through? The other thing that I would underscore is there's a handful of really interesting primary campaigns. You know, uh, for example, in Congress uh, to replace Brad Wenstrup just yep. uh, east of, of Cincinnati. Do any of those races, you know, sort of pop turnout in those areas and then affect the Senate race? Because I do think, you know, this has almost been a quiet campaign, you know, that so much effort went into, you know, issue one in November. So much fatigue came out of that. And then you were into the holidays that, you know, this has been basically a sprint. You know, we're used to, you know, really, really long campaigns. And this this one has been, you know, much more, you know, subdued and 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 shorter and, you know, I think probably for most Ohioans, pretty pretty uninspiring. Yeah. Also, you know, you got to look at the presidential. I mean, the Trump is on the ballot, and right. He in March nineteenth is after Super Tuesday, so whether Nikki Haley is still a candidate and where she stands will also probably influence turnout as well. Thanks to David Niven, University of Cincinnati political science professor. David, thanks very much for joining us on Snellygoster. Oh, it's my pleasure. We'll be right back. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Time now for our Snollygoster of the Week segment, where we honor the shrewdest politician or political move of the past week. This week, it goes to State Rep. Justin Pizzulli. He faces a primary challenge from fellow Republican Gina Collinsworth. Pizzulli, with the help of the Republican House Caucus Campaign Fund, is running an ad featuring Collinsworth wearing a surgical mask and claiming that she supported the COVID shutdown. Remember that? Collinsworth says she was wearing that mask while visiting her husband in the hospital while he was undergoing treatment for cancer. She says she did not want to wear a mask, but she did so to comply with the hospital's mask mandate and so she could see her husband. I thought we were done with these mask fights and for criticizing people for choosing to wear a mask. Anyway, so for continuing to make mask wearing a political issue, State Rep Justin Pizzulli gets our Snollygoster of the Week Award. That'll do it for this week's edition of Snollygoster, which is part of the NPR Network. As always, please be sure to give us a good review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And, you know, just tell your friends about us. For our student producer, Katie Genius, and our digital producer, Michael DeBonis, I'm Mike Thompson for Snollygoster from WOSU Public Media. 